The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we thank you for giving us your word. And at the same time as we acknowledge that you have given us your word, we ask you to give us a word. Like you put a word into Balaam's mouth when he prophesied over the people in the desert so long ago. Lord, would you put a word here in our midst and speak over us for our good? Would you bless? Would you bless such that you bring blessing and no one can bring cursing? Would you bless? Bless mightily. Bless clearly. Bless in a relevant and helpful way. Put a word here in the midst and put a word over your people that builds us and that causes us to shine and to walk in goodness to your glory. And this morning as we consider the subject before us, would you make it clear? It's a very simple passage, very short, but would you, would you put in this word your word, your power, your guidance, your truth? It, it's here. We, we don't believe that it's separate from your scripture. It's here. It is, it is your scripture. But what I'm asking, Lord, is would you commission God the Spirit to run through the room in power this morning? Would you assign him that task, Father? To illumine the word and to illumine Jesus in front of our eyes to build us up, to bless us such that we will not know any cursing. Just blessing. Powerfully work this morning towards that end, please. Use this passage. Build us up and honor the Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. The relationship between parents and children is an important one for us. And I mean that in two ways. Obviously, I mean it in, in the first way, the emotional, the, the felt, the personal way. It, there's, there's nothing like the love of and, and the, the closeness of parents and kids. And really, even when it goes wrong, that still proves the point, because it, when it goes wrong, it's, it's hard, it hurts. Because there's nothing like the relational connection, the emotional component of parent and child. That relationship is important relationally, but I also mean that in a second way. In, in a less personal and in a less intimate way, I mean that in a, in a more formative and functional way. This relationship makes us. It forms us. Both parent and child, I mean. 
both become something as over a long course of years they are in close interaction with each other, parent and child, both then shaped in certain ways, bent this way, away from that way, given certain inclinations and, and drawn to certain perspectives and, and put off by other ones and developing certain habits and ideas and adopting disciplines and beliefs. It's true of the kids and of the parents. We're, we're both, both sides of this, we're both formed by this, this relationship and then what we become there, we then walk that out into the rest of life. It really is foundational in that sense. So what happens in this relationship between parent and child, it's really important. That's how God designed it, of course. And then, of course, he speaks to it. And he gives us some guidance about how that relationship should work. Not in every single detail, of course, but but in kind of a a general principial way, he lays out the, the groundwork for what parent and child relationship is supposed to look like. And he touches on it throughout all the Bible. We heard mentioned some passages from Proverbs this morning already. This one before us in Colossians 3 is by no means exhaustive. Not by a long shot. Very short. Very focused. So we're, we're going to look at just part of what God has to say here this morning. But what, what's here is, in fact, quite important for us both to understand, for, for all of us to understand. Not every detail is here, but something really important is here. We're in Colossians chapter 3, and as we saw last week, we're in this section about how the household is supposed to work, and it comes right out of verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, whether you be married last week, or whether you be a parent or child this week, do it all, whatever it is, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And how do you do that? Well, that's what the first 16 verses of the chapter were about. So there's, there's a flow here through this whole chapter right into our section this morning in which God is saying here today, children, parents, here's something important, something basic about how you relate, but I'm not leaving you to do it alone. I don't mean for you to do it alone. I mean for you to do it with me, in me, in Christ. Which means there's, there's a lot of hope and a lot of help here. That as we look at this relationship, God will draw near to us and help us. So we're just going to look at, at a piece of this this morning from these two verses, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. If you want more on the subject of, of parenting especially, there's a sermon series on it. You can find it online on our website. We regularly offer classes in the first hour to talk about the subject. So there's, there's a lot more to be said. There's, there's other places to find it. But here this morning, we're going to be thinking about this parent-child relationship carried out in the name of the Lord with his help, for blessing to us. So I'm going to read these two really short verses, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, and then draw two observations from them. So here's the passage, beginning in verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, Do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Lest they become discouraged. That's the passage, quite short, two observations. One for kids, one for parents. Here's the first. Children are to obey their parents in a Christ-centered way. 
children are to obey their parents in a Christ-centered way. He's talking to children, it says, which is not all of us, which is not everybody here. We, we all used to be children, but there's nothing here about those who are now adults and no longer living in the household of their parents. So he's not talking to adult children. He means children, those who are still at home. We might call them minors. I'm going to probably say kids a lot. So those still at home, he's addressing children, which again is pretty interesting. Kids. God is talking to you. About you. Directly, about you. I am sure that if you're a kid, I'm sure there is a a bunch of time where you spend around adults, your parents and their friends, and you're listening to them having conversation about stuff that doesn't relate to you. They have an adult conversation. They're going back and forth. And you, your kid there at the dinner table or wherever, you have to just sit there and, and kind of just sit there. And all the time you're waiting for it to be over. You wish you could be excused. You can go do something that you want to do, but you can't. So you just have to wait. And I bet that a lot of times the church worship service feels a little bit like that. Adults here having adult conversation that really doesn't have anything to do with you. But kids, let me ask you, look, look at that verse right there. It begins with children. This is a verse where God is speaking directly to you. We'll see what that means in a second, but do you realize here that if he's speaking to you directly in this verse, he did that because he thinks you're sitting here with all the adults. It's part of us all together. And he also thinks you were listening to everything that we said before. All of it was to you. There isn't any verse here. You notice it doesn't say a verse. Okay, now adults, go get the kids and bring them in because now I have to say something to them. He assumes that you're sitting here the whole time, listening to all of this, all the way through. Now, is it complicated and long and hard to understand? Yes. And depending how old you are, I, no, I'm talking, to, I'm talking to people who are 17 and 7 right now, so there's, there's a gap there, I understand. But depending how, how old you are, even some of the words themselves can be hard to understand, let alone 45 minutes of them. 45-minute long sermon. And I'm using big words, I know, and I'm, I'm talking in fast and long sentences, I, I understand, but that is a part of why you're sitting here with your parents. You're sitting here right with them, listening to the very same things so that you and your parents can talk about this afterwards. Have you ever sat on the couch next to your dad watching a football game and wondered, why did they stop? What's going on? And he explains to you, well, when they make that motion, that's offsides, which means that they, this one side crossed over the line too early. They can't do that. And he explained it to you, and you understood it, and now you keep watching. That's exactly what's supposed to go on here. 
we're going to say things, we're going to talk about things, we're going to use words that are hard to understand, especially if you're seven, even if you're 17 sometimes. But you're sitting here with your dad or with your mom or with your grandparents so that you can talk about what was that about? You're here. God wants you here because you're one of us, all of us. Not just this adult time, this is your time too. And that means that God thinks you're here, God knows you're here. God's thinking about you. God sees you. God's concerned about you, not just your dad and mom and all the adults in the room, but you. He knows you, and and he cares about you too, and he loves you too, and he wants to have a relationship with you too, and he wants that relationship with you to be good because he he wants to bless you, to, to have your life like blossom like a plant and, and, and sprout like a flower and, and be beautiful. So he's going to teach you. And use your parents in that process too, but he's going to teach you. He's near to you. He wants you to, to be prospered, to thrive. So what does he say to you here in this verse? In his love for you. Because he wants you to prosper and thrive. Well, we're all going to look at it together because it's not just for kids. It's also for the adults here too. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Now, all of us, if we're thinking about this and thinking about last week too, we, we recognize this is similar to last week talking to the wives, but it's stronger. The Bible talks about about marriage and, and kids and whatnot in a bunch of different places, and it always does it a little bit differently with a little bit different emphasis. But, but here, how this is set up, the, the verse that's directed to the children is stronger. The word here is obey. Up above it was submit. Those are different words. This one's stronger. Part of, We talked about this last week, but part of submission may include obedience, but how much of, of obey includes obedience? All of it. That's what the word's about. It's a stronger word. And it's obey in everything. That's stronger too. So he has something here that's, that's very direct and, and strong to kids. Obey your parents in everything. God wants you to obey your parents, your mom and dad. Always. No matter what. Yeah. But not quite. Yes, but not quite. Not if what your parents tell you to do is wrong in God's eyes. Not if it's sin. As the rest of the verse says, obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Really, kids, you need to keep this in mind. Like You want to please mom and dad, yes, but, but above mom, above dad is Jesus. And the one you're thinking about first and foremost is to please Jesus. And Jesus isn't pleased with sin, obviously. So if your parents tell you to do something that's wrong, then you don't, you don't follow them. You follow Jesus instead. He's actually in charge. In charge of you and in charge of your parents. Obviously, sin doesn't please him. So if your parents tell you to do something that's wrong, don't do that. Obey Jesus. If your parents tell you that you should go along so that they can do something wrong to someone else or to you, that's not right. I want to please Jesus. Now, 
talking to seven-year-olds and 17-year-olds. If you're 17, I think you get this. You understand your parents are sinners. You've seen that. But maybe if you're seven, you don't quite understand that yet. Your parents can be wrong. And the actual one in charge is Jesus. We always need to be thinking about Jesus first. We need to keep that in mind. So do we obey them in every single thing? Well, not if it's wrong. But really, most of the time, when is it hard to obey your parents? When they tell you to eat your broccoli and you don't like broccoli. When they tell you to get off Instagram and do your homework. Or that you can't wear that outfit. Or that you have to take out the garbage right now. No, not the commercial break, right now. That's the hardest thing about this verse. Obey your parents in everything. Most of the time it's not sin, it's not wrong, it's just not what you want. It's not, it's not what we like. You don't like what they say, but you have to do it anyway. Why does God say that? I thought you said that God loves me and cares about me and wants what's good for me, but then my parents tell me to do this and tell me I have to obey them? Yeah. Because God, in love, in love for you, God wants to shape and form you into an adult. And he uses your parents in that process, creating a, a leadership and following relationship. There are many things about the world that you just don't understand yet. Now, there's, there's a kind of a mean-spirited, frustrated joke directed at teenagers. So teenagers hear this as a joke. It's a joke. Have you seen the joke? Teenagers quick, move out while you still know everything. <laughs> Do you hear the joke in that? Because teenagers, of course, we think we know everything when we're teenagers, but the point of the joke is that once you get past those, those ages, you realize, man, I didn't know everything. Right, you don't know everything. And that's why God put somebody over you who loves you and cares for you and knows there's stuff in life that you just can't learn until you've been around the block a couple times. And here's some people who know you and love you and have been around the block a couple times. And God says to you, follow them so that you can learn about how the world really works, about how life really works, about how people really work, about what's true. Knowledge and wisdom comes to you through the adults who are over you. And God tells you to follow them for your good, to learn. And so you can grow and develop in your character. Because God is concerned not just that you know the facts, but that you be a person of character, a mature person. That you have self-control. Very important for life. And something's going to happen when you bump into parents who just don't know anything, just, they just don't get it, and they tell you to do something, and you have to do it anyway, you're going to find that I am right here at this point of saying, I don't want to, but I will with a good attitude. I don't want to, but I will with a good attitude. And what you're learning there is self-control, maturity, 
of saying no to what you want, of saying no to thinking of you as the most important person in the world, the center of everything, and realizing that's not how it works. And you're learning then to say no to your own feelings and your own desires and yes to someone else. Maturing in character and becoming other-centered in thinking. So God wants you to learn facts about how things work and God wants your character to develop into maturity And most importantly, he wants to teach you to entrust yourself to him, which is your biggest need, which is all of our biggest need. Obeying someone is really hard because you feel like, I really want, I really need, My life would be better if I could, but these people are telling me something else, and what am I going to lose? I'm going to lose everything. Do you have any idea how foolish, how silly I'm going to look at school if I'm not allowed to wear this outfit but have to wear that one? And you feel like I'm going to lose all my friends. I'm going to look so ridiculous. Everybody's going to laugh at me. You feel like you're going to lose life. If I can't go to this party... I'm going to lose all my friends. If I have to do my chores instead of go outside and play, I'm going to have a terrible day. I need some downtime to watch Netflix and you tell me to do my homework. I can't handle it. That's how it feels when you're put in a spot of obeying someone. And what God wants to do there is not just only teach you information about the world, not just teach you maturity and character, but to teach you actually I myself, Jesus, I myself will be enough for your heart. That's the point we've been seeing throughout all these chapters. Maybe you've heard it in big words, but let me put it simply. Jesus wants us to think about Jesus. And to find that when I lose my friends, when I lose my reputation, when I lose my free time, when I lose my downtime... I actually, huh, still have Jesus. That's his point. Yes, you do. Look at me. I'm life for you still. I give you hope in your heart. I I, I can keep you hopeful and happy and joyful. I'll be your friend. I'll forgive you of your errors. I'll be, I'll be interesting and I'll be full and I'll be real and I'll be life and I'll be creativity. I'll be what you need. Come to me. Find it in me. So in, in these various ways we find that's why, maybe there are other reasons, but that's why God says, kids, obey your parents because they'll teach you things about life. And you'll find there a maturing of your character. And you'll find there me. Life in me. So he tells you to obey your parents as, as sort of, a, of a, a playing field on which we learn something. Which as we obey, we actually find other benefits. It's not just about obeying. It's about the other benefits. And God who is wise and God who knows you and God who loves you tells you, 
Obey your parents. This is pleasing to me, and actually it's pleasing for you too in the long run. Trust him. Pray to him. Read about him. Ask him for help. He's there. Children, obey your parents in a Christ-centered way. And then flipping it around, secondly, parents. So, I'm going to talk to parents now. Kids, this is still for you too. I'm talking to parents now. Parents, especially fathers, must shepherd their children in a Christ-centered way. Parents, especially fathers, must shepherd their children in a Christ-centered way. So verse 21, we see, is addressed specifically to fathers. But you realize that it's the matching verse for 20 where it was talking about parents, both of them in the plural. You realize actually he probably has both parents in view here also because both parents are going to be instructing. Both parents are going to be the ones that the child is obeying. He's got both in view, but especially dads because dads do have a unique responsibility in leading the home. And it's also probably true that dads tend to be a little more likely to run afoul of what Jesus is talking about here. So we might say it like, dads, especially you, but all parents really, hear this. Do not provoke your children. Which is not just saying, don't egg them on, don't badger them. The word's getting at, we can see this if maybe you're reading some other translation of the Bible, you'll see, don't exasperate them, don't embitter them, don't make them resentful. Different versions put it different ways. We mentioned embittering last week in talking about husbands. It's a different word, but it's kind of the same sort of idea. He's saying to parents, especially fathers, it reads an attitude of resentment and angry frustration. Don't provoke your children. Why not? Keep reading. Lest they become discouraged. Not just bummed out, down in the dumps, but discouraged in an abiding sense, in a settled sense. What's the point? This is hopeless. Disheartened like that. There's no point in trying anymore. There's loss of frustration, loss of motivation in life. There's, there's frustration, sullen and downcast. The sort of child feels like, the, the one envisioned here, the sort of child feels like, I can't win for trying, so why bother trying? Whatever I do isn't good enough. I never measure up. I'm never right. I'm just a failure. So I, I give up. I quit. I'm out. And he shuts down and checks out. You can create that kind of discouragement. You can extinguish your child. Snuff him out. Break his or her spirit. If you continually provoke him or her. Which... I hope, I, I, I know, as you hear that, it, it should feel like, oh, that would be awful. To talk about your child as extinguished. 
broken a kid. Nobody, you don't want to do that. God doesn't want that. So in order to avoid that, it's worth thinking about what might that provoking that might lead to that, what, what does that look like? How might that happen? How might I create an atmosphere of angry frustration and bitterness and resentment that snuffs him out, that extinguishes her? Anything come to mind? And, and I mean that. It would be wise to stop here and think, how might I do that? How might I be doing that? And has anything come to mind? And I imagine there are, there are lots of ways that we could do that. But there's one main thing in view here in this verse. As I said, it's very focused and, and simple. There are lots of other ways, perhaps, but there's one thing here related to the reason that 20 and 21 are paired. The main issue here is how a parent carries his or her authority and how we might control the lives of our kids. How he shepherds or how she governs and guides. There's clearly an authority structure in the family, and clearly kids have to obey their parents in all things. We've already said that. And equally clearly, that very same authority structure, when misunderstood or misapplied, is the easiest and quickest way for a parent, especially a father, to provoke and create resentment in a child that leads to despondency. I say especially fathers. You, if you've ever been a dad, you, you know how this works. That there are some times that mom will say, don't, 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 and dad walks in the room and says, hey, and kid cries. I've done that a bunch. Mom is saying, hey, 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 don't do that, don't do that, and I just walk in and say, hey, There's something about being male that has a, a weight to it or that I think this is why it's, it's appropriately parents, especially fathers, think about this. Because you can walk into the room and say, hey, and land on them like that accidentally. So think about this carefully. Especially Fathers. Imagine this kind of a shepherding approach. I use shepherding in quotes. Imagine this. A parent, aloof and relationally unknown, maybe even often physically absent. Kind of like the boss at work. People know who the boss is. People know where the boss's office is. People know what his name is or what she looks like, but nobody actually really knows the boss. Relationally aloof, often not present, distant in some way, but shows up to set the rules, and they are really high adult-level standards. Because after all, that's what the Bible says, right? Do this and don't do that. There's the rules, really high adult-level standards, and he's diligent to tell them all when they're failing to carefully, exactly, religiously point out and criticize error and sin and then be diligent to enforce change and to gain their compliance. Often angry and impatient too. Can you picture that? 
Can you feel that? How does that feel? How do you think that goes? It may appear to go well at first. Because you will get compliant, high-performing kids out of that. At first. Especially if you are very firm and on top of it. And those kids, that, that family may appear to have it all together and the kids may appear to be walking in the ways of the Lord and, and perhaps even other people around you will marvel. Man, your family is so well ordered. Everybody sits in a line. Everybody knows their Bible verses. Everybody says please and thank you. Man, they may marvel at that. But it's just possible that that's shepherding based only on power. And that will always produce a problem. You're going to have a problem as the kids get older. And your ability to control your kids appropriately declines. You do realize that as you get older, your ability to control declines. That's right and good. Your ability to control declines. And what you must have is a relationship that is based on relationships so that as de control declines, influence increases. Influence is based on relationship, not power. As power declines, influence must increase. And if you try to like bend the power curve to try to hold on to the power, that's defined provoke. Now, this is not a passage or, or a sermon about how to build a relationship that's based on relationship. It's, that's, as I said, consider the other sermon series, consider one of the many life training classes that we offer. This is, this is focused narrowly on don't provoke. My point here is simply this, that a parent can easily provoke a child by trying to hold on to control and exercising power, law, authority, especially if you do so well past its expiration date. Now, when they're little, you physically determine where their bodies are. So power is the name of the game when they're, when they're little, but that's declining and influence must increase. How to do that's another sermon, but the point is, we cannot use authority, wield power to try to control. We have to use it to bless, to guide, to shape in a context of relationship. And if we try to work on a power-based system, that's what provoking is. And it always has negative results. So we don't want to do that. So don't do that. What you should do is just build a relationship that's built on relationship. Just do that and don't do this. As I say that, let me say that again, just do this and don't do that. As I say that, I, I really hope that 
by this point, something's going off in your head like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just told me that the Bible's answer is to just do this and not do that? Isn't there something more? Yes. It has to be, always has to be. Because that should sound to you like there's the law of God, which is good and right. This is the law of God, which is good and right. Children, here's a command, do this. Parents, here's a command, don't do this. Law of God, good and right. We read it, we take note of it, we see the path we're supposed to walk, and we realize, I hope, we must, we, we, we need to realize, but I don't walk it by law. I've got to walk that path by some other means. What is it? Where is it? How? So a little bell needs to go off. We need to be really sensitized, particularly as we've been moving through Colossians here, that just do it doesn't do it. There's something else. I need something else to, to actually attain movement within me. We'll talk about why that's important. Now, we need to point out something here that I want to alert you to because I think you could find easily online right at your fingertips in lots of places, a dozen books on parenting that stop right here. Written by Christians, probably popular, that stop right here. They, they lay out what God says, his, his principles, they, they probably have a bunch of stories in there and some tips about how to make them work, and they stop right there. And those books, those resources may be halfway helpful what I'm talking about with the light going off here is that we've got to go further. And I want to point out, those books have a place. We have to go further, but we shouldn't throw them all out. We shouldn't throw out all those various techniques because parenting is, is also a skill that can be learned. And many of those books are very helpful in learning the skills. So use them and use them appropriately. Use them and use them in to whatever they talk about, to wherever they stop, and then go on further if they stop short. Because you need the skills, but you need more. What do, what do, you, what do you most need as a parent? Not just the command, don't provoke. You need to become the kind of person who doesn't provoke with power. You need to become a person like that. And becoming a person who doesn't provoke with power is about internal change. How does that happen? This is a privilege bought for you by Jesus' gospel of grace. This is how he means to help you with the job he assigned you. In Christ, you can parent with your mind set on Christ, on things above. To exercise authority in light of the ultimate safe lordship of Jesus over you and over them. So think about this. He made all things, including you and including these kids that he has loaned you temporarily and asked you to shepherd, but they're his. All things are made by him and for him. They're his. 
They're not yours, and they're not for you, for your vicarious finding of life in them. And I put it like that, ask you to put a little mark there. Maybe that's one of the issues that Jesus wants to change in you. Because sometimes we control our kids because we're finding our life in them and in their life and in their success and their accomplishments and their achievements. I'm using them for me. And I'm working them to accomplish for me. And Jesus says, actually, they belong to me, not you. And I'll give you life myself directly. Come to me, all you parents who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Don't find it in them, find it in me. One of the things that needs to change in us then, what I'm saying, is that sometimes we live vicariously through our kids, and that's why we want to control them, because that's where our life is found. And Jesus says, no, they're, they're for me. I'm your life. Come to me. He made them and he owns them and he reigns over all of them wisely and powerfully carrying out all of his good plans in life. Plans that he knows that we don't. Plans that we can't execute and that we can't foul up, ruin, or thwart. You put another little marker right there in your notes. This is another reason that sometimes we control our kids and use power over them, the thing that Jesus wants to change inside of us, is that sometimes we worry about them, their failures, and their losses. When we could physically control where their bodies were, we moved them into safe places. And when they turn 16 and walk out the door with the car keys, we realize, ah. And so what we try to do is control that. Not in this case to find my life to them, but to protect them because I'm worried about them. You have any idea how crazy a 16-year-old driver can be? For sure. For sure. Yeah. And so I better control that. I better protect them. I better save their lives. Jesus says, I am the Lord of the household. I'm Lord over you and I'm Lord over them. I got them. I've got a plan going on here which does not always mean that he will protect their lives. But does mean that that's on him, not on you. As you set your mind on Jesus and consider him seated at the right hand and reigning over all things, carrying out his purposes for his creation, his people, and his children that aren't yours, in some way, God, if God, if God would fill you with that, if that would take root in you, you would say, I see that you reign over all things and you have accomplished peace in the world. That controls my heart. I let go. It's on him and not on us. And he's also the God who forgives. Set your mind on the one who is above, on the one who reigns and the one who forgives. He is a God of high and holy standards for sure and a God of grace and mercy for sure. And in him we are a people who find grace and mercy and he intends for us to walk in that forgiveness. You too, when you mess up parenting, which you will, 
and them too when they mess up being kids, which they will. Put a little mark there because another reason that we try to hold on to is we feel like sometimes I'm going to be called to account for how I've done with them. And I better do it right. I better do it well. I better, better make sure that they walk in the ways of the Lord. I better save them. I better save myself. And God says, I have high and holy standards and I have grace and mercy and grace and mercy and grace and mercy to you. So throw it off the window and do whatever you want. I don't care. No, 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 no. But you, you parent, you wield authority as under authorities. Realizing I'm going to do the best I can and then stand before a God who judges me in grace and mercy. And them too. You worry sometimes about how you're doing as a parent when you realize how important parenting is. And if you will, oh, how sweet this would be if it, this would like take root in your heart. If the word of the gospel would dwell deeply in you, if, if his reign over all the world for peace would rule in your hearts, I'm thinking of verses 15 and 16. There's a sweet release that comes there that says, I don't have to make it happen. I can't make it happen. So I can hold them. I have to hold them. I'm in authority. I have to uphold them. I'm the one holding them, but I'm not grabbing them. I can hold them in front of the one who is their Lord. I'll be forgiven when I mess up, and I'll forgive them when they mess up. He keeps them safe and accomplishes his purpose in their lives because they're for him. They're his, not mine. My life is found in him, not in them. May this take root in you, Christian. May you, in other words, may you parent in a Christ-centered way with your mind set on him who is seated and who is coming and who has it all in his hands now. There's a lot of release in that. And then what comes out on the other side of that is, is you can experience parenting as a joy and not as a burden. And they can experience your parenting as a joy and not as a burden. I'm not saying it gets easy. I'm saying it gets light. Which is not easy. It's just light. This is, this is the only way to parent, the only way to exercise authority over your kids as under authorities, under Christ, and yourself full of Christ, trusting Christ. And this is what creates a home that instead of provoking kids, nurtures and raises them to follow him with you as you follow him. There's a lot more that we could say about parenting, of course. But may this take root in you, parent, and in you, child. Obey your parents in a Christ-centered way and shepherd your kids in a Christ-centered way for God's glory and for our good. Let's pray for that now. Pray with me. Lord, would you take us each in the places where we are some of us here are parents, some of us here are kids. 
we consider this subject for those two categories of, of our church this morning here, Lord, we probably would say we've got a dozen questions and, and a half a dozen problems still. Spirit of God, would you draw near and make Jesus clear to us and encourage and nurture and build up your people. We look to you for help and we look to you for hope. Shepherd us. Raise us up. Be Lord over us for our good and for your glory. Thank you, Lord. We trust this to you and say amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.